Good morning. It's good to be with you all. Um, Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you for this morning, um, and I thank you for your faithfulness. Throughout generations, throughout families, throughout um, your covenants of the past, the present, and of your future coming. Lord God, our, our faith is rooted in not our faithfulness to you, but your faithfulness to us. And I'm so glad because, um, man, we're just unfaithful all the time. Um, and so, Lord, I just pray that, that today you would speak truth through me of your faithfulness to us. I pray we would walk away knowing that what you require from us is to love you and trust you because you've earned it time and time again. Lord, be with us, be present, and I, Lord, I, I pray you speak. I pray this in your name. Amen. Um, I want to start by uh, saying that this week's been rough. <laughs> um, Braven was in the hospital for, for quite a while, um, and to be completely honest, um, I was not really that excited to preach until uh, probably last night when I was praying a lot. Um, when, when Bryce asked me to, to preach, I was really excited. I, I love preaching from the Gospels. And I got to this story when I figured out, you know, this was the topic I was going to be preaching on. And I said, oh, great. This is the one section in Mark I hate talking about. Because it's kind of confusing, metaphorical. Jesus isn't very um, straightforward with his responses and answers. Um, and then this week happened, and it, it's just been rough. And so I hope you're okay with my honesty. <laughs> But that's where I'm at, and it's okay. Um, and I, I'm excited right now. I really am. I'm, I'm really excited for the Lord uh, to speak and for us to, to dive deep into Mark chapter 8 um, because it reveals God's faithfulness in a beautiful, beautiful way. But I wanted to um, give you all a quick update on our family, um, on kind of our life. Like I said, Braven was in the hospital uh, from Wednesday until about Friday with Bree, which was kind of crazy. Um, and if you all didn't know, I was in the hospital for a few days about a month ago. Um, I've been diagnosed as epileptic. Uh, for the past 10 years, apparently I've been having many seizures. I've been brushing them off as like just weird things that happen. Uh, <laughs> and it happened while I was preaching in Ohio and um, a nurse literally made me go to the hospital Um, and it turns out I've got like this part of my brain that just overfires, and so uh, they've given me some pills to take, um, no side effects, and I've been enjoying that process as I can't drive for six months, and um, and so yeah, I'm I'm thankful that uh, nothing bad has happened, Um, but yeah, so the past like month and a half has been a weird time for our family, as I'm looking at Brie going, yeah, Um, (laughs) it's been a weird time, but it's been a really good time. Um, the Lord's, we've, I would say we were in a really, really good and healthy place. And it's funny that when we often admit that, the Lord just just shoves a plate of, yeah, and this is what health looks like. It, it, looks, it looks like diving deeper into your sin and brokenness and the brokenness of this world um, and making you trust me. And so <laughs> that's where I'm at right now. I'm, I'm at that stage of, all right, Jesus, I'm trusting you. So uh, that's where we're at. Um, with Young Life, I wanted to give you an update. We've got this incredible grant that, we, um, that we've been given. We're the first small town that this grant is, is happening to. 
Um, and pretty much with this grant, I've got a, a, a prayer team and I've got a team that's helping me set up meetings. And every meeting that I have, up to eight meetings, this, this grant pays me to have those meetings with people, to share my case statement for Young Life in our area and to ask for a financial gift. Regardless of whether anyone gives, um, if I make eight meetings, eight meetings a month, we get $2,600 a month for, um, for like 21 months. It's an, a, just an incredible blessing. Um, so I, I'll just throw this out there. If you would love to, to hear our case statement of what's happening, if you would love to help out in any way, even if you have no money and you already have in the back of your mind, no, when I ask you, um, please have that meeting because uh, one, I get to share our case statement, hopefully encourage you with what the Lord's doing through Young Life in our, in our county. And two, it's a blessing to us. So I'll just throw that out there for anyone. Um, so let's dive into Mark chapter 8. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter 8, verses 11 through 21. Uh, Let me read this to you. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and of that of Herod. They discussed with one another and said, It's because we have no bread? Aware of of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? Don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets of pieces did you pick up? They answered seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? If you're like the disciples and me, when I first looked at this, I was like, no, I don't understand. (laughs) Jesus, what are you talking about? Um, And so I want to invite us to dig into this to try and figure out really what Jesus is is saying, not only to the disciples, but to us. Because I think there's a reason that Mark has put this here. We're going to look at these two sections of Scripture. When the Pharisees meet with Jesus and uh, when Jesus is having a conversation with the disciples separately but together. And so I want to invite us to do that because they flow into each other. And so before we look into this, I wanna um, show you an overview of what's been happening so far and the picture that Mark has been painting to us um, over the past few chapters, what has happened and what is going to happen. If you could throw that slide up. If you can see this, um, the beauty of Mark is he's not just writing down stories like Bryce has been saying. Mark has been painting a picture of who Jesus is. In Mark, Chapter 1, verse 1, he gives us his opinion of who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Son of God. And then from that point on, he leaves his opinion out, and he gives us the opinions of people that Jesus is interacting with. And it's beautiful. But here we see that there are two things happening. Chapter 6 through uh, chapter 7, 37, what happens is there's a feeding of the crowd of bread. 
Jesus does two miracles within these two sections. He feeds the crowd, and then he crosses a lake. He gets into a dispute with the Pharisees. He has a discussion about bread. He does a healing that he reveals to somebody his nature, and it results in this beautiful confession of faith. And so now we're on the second side in eight through, well, chapter eight, in which he just got done feeding the crowd. Bryce uh, preached on that. And what's beautiful is the first miracle that Jesus does of feeding the crowd, the first one is to Jewish people, right? This beautiful thing about the second miracle is that it's to Gentiles. It's not Jewish people. It's beautiful that in in this story and in this picture that Mark is painting, we see that God's plan has been for all people for all time. The promise he made to Abraham in in Genesis 12, that Abraham's family would be all people of all nations, of all tongues and everywhere. And we see that beautifully at the end of, of Revelation. All peoples and nations and tongues worshiping before the Lord. It's this beautiful picture, and Mark is painting it for us here. Uh, we just kind of have to see it. And so after Jesus gets done feeding the crowds, uh, he crosses the lake, and he meets the Pharisees once again. I, wanna, um, I wanted to, to show a, a movie clip. Bree told me it probably wouldn't be a good idea, and Bryce said, yeah, don't do that. Uh, <laughs> it was of uh, Anchorman. Has anyone here seen Anchorman? It's one of my favorite movies. I love Anchorman. Um, it's a story of Rod Burgundy, um, played by Will Ferrell, uh, and in this scene, they're all newscast. It's ridiculous, and they take the shortcut, um, and they're met by an opposing news team, right? And they come up next to each other, and they're about to fight. There's intense music, and they lay down some ground rules for what this fight will be like, and the only two rules are no touching of the hair and face, right, because they're they're news anchors. Uh, It's hilarious, and they say begin, and people just start pulling out tridents and hand grenades and, like, chains out of their... It's this ridiculous scene, and I love it, because it makes almost no sense except that it's Will Will Ferrell. And the reason why I wanted to show that (laughs) um, is because that is the scene that Mark is trying to paint when the Pharisees walk up to Jesus. It's go time. If you want to throw up the next slide, Mark says that the Pharisees, they come. And this word come, it's not just like, oh, they walked up. This is a military style language when militaries would come up against other militaries. The Pharisees are opposing Jesus in a very real and tangible way that is very hostile, that we just don't really get to see within the English language. And it says, they began to question Jesus. And this isn't just um, questioning, and it says to test him. This isn't just like they're trying to make Jesus pass tests. Mark uses this word test four times in the Gospel of Mark. The first one is when the, the devil tests Jesus in the wilderness. And the other three are when the Pharisees try to test Jesus. This, is, this isn't just a, oh, I want to see if he's passing a test. This is a dispute. This is a try and trick him. This is a try and gain control because they know that the ministry Jesus is doing doesn't align with who they are and who their mission is. And so they're opposed to Jesus feeding a bunch of Gentiles. They're opposed to Jesus healing people and seeing a result of confession when those people wouldn't even be allowed in the synagogues. 
And it says they ask him for a sign. And like I said, this is confusing because, well, didn't Jesus just do a bunch of miracles? Once again, uh, wording is, is difficult in here. Mark never uses the word sign. I don't want to say never. He almost never uses the word sign in correlation with a miracle. What the Pharisees are asking is, hey, we know that you are claiming to be the son of God. They had the head knowledge. We know that you're claiming to be the son of God. Why don't you prove it? We want to see a, a sign from heaven. We want to see a sign from not just a miracle. Like, we, anybody can do a miracle. Anyone can pull, you know, these kind of tricks over on us. What we want to see is a direct sign from heaven that you are who you claim to be. And I love Jesus' uh, his response. He sighs deeply. He says, why do you ask for a sign? I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back in the boat, and crossed to the other side. It's kind of confusing because we're going to see, as Bryce preaches, the next few weeks, Jesus actually does give signs. <laughs> like literally um, in a few, in, well, a chapter, chapter 9, Jesus goes up onto a mountain and the transfiguration happens, right? In which he reveals himself as the son of God. God speaks from heaven. Like this is literally the sign that the Pharisees are asking for. And Jesus says, here's the thing. Your head knowledge, that's not the type of, of faith that I require. It's following after me. And so Jesus leaves the Pharisees. And because of the Pharisees' lack of faith, the Pharisees don't get to see the sign that Jesus is about to reveal to his disciples. It's brilliant and confusing at the same time. <laughs> Mark wants us to see that the Pharisees understand who Jesus is claiming to be. They just have no faith in that that is who he actually is. And so Jesus departs from them and goes away. This text, it's, it's so interesting to me, and I think it correlates well with the church here and now in America. Um, I think Christianity has become a very intellectual concept in which we try and understand scripture, right? Like that's most of what we do is to try and do Bible studies so we can kind of gain some head knowledge. What I love about the story is that head knowledge doesn't always produce faith in who Jesus is and what he's doing in our lives, our communities, our families. Head knowledge isn't the goal. It's faith and trust in Jesus. And so because of that, their hard hearts and their unwillingness to acknowledge that Jesus was Lord, resulted in division, and he leaves them. Understanding who Jesus is doesn't mean that your heart owes allegiance to him. It just means you know what he says. And that's a hard truth. Because when I grew up, man, it was mostly just, hey, read this Bible and try and understand uh, some of the stuff pastors talking about or whoever. And it seems like Jesus, not that that's bad, but that's not the whole picture. The picture is a faith and trust and allegiance that we don't fully get by just trying to understand who Jesus is. It's a walking out, it's a trusting process of faith and understanding his faithfulness to us. I love that. The disciples trusted Jesus because they lived life with him and they saw his miracles. 
What we're about to see in this next text is that the disciples had no clue who Jesus was, <laughs> ironically. The Pharisees understood the claims Jesus was making. The disciples did not. But who does Jesus leave? The Pharisees. Jesus leaves the people who understand the claims he's making. It's confusing. <laughs> it's also confusing because Jesus, once again, is, is talking metaphorically about signs and all these things. But I love this. <clears throat> the disciples get back in the boat with Jesus and they travel with him. And that requires trust and faith, not complete understanding. I love that, that Mark paints us this picture. Hey, you don't necessarily have to understand everything about Jesus to get into the boat with him and cross to the other side. You just gotta trust his plan and purpose. And I'm, I'm right there. <laughs> uh, I don't understand everything that's, that's happening in my life. I, man, this wasn't my plan for 2021. Uh, but I'm trusting the Lord's faithfulness that his plan is good. And so now I want to look at this next section of scripture. It says he left them, got back into the boat and crossed the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf. I, I love this, right? The disciples, they're knuckleheads. Uh, they, they, they're forgetting everything, and they're having this dispute. Like, I'm sure one of them was like, we only have one loaf of bread. Nobody tell Jesus. I swear, I'll buy some on me at the next town. Just don't bring it up. Uh, and Jesus overhears them, and he's like, what are, you, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, oh, no. He heard and Jesus uses this, this beautiful situation to talk about the thing that they're talking about, yet to not talk about the thing that they're talking about. To illustrate this, um, I want to share with you all a story. It's pretty embarrassing. Um, don't judge me for it. This was back in college. I lived at this place called the Roadhouse. Um, it was across the street. Bree's already shaking her head no. Uh, it was across the street from Malone College, this Christian college. Um, and the guys that I lived there with... Um, a lot of them either have been kicked off of campus because uh, like any really solid Christian campus, they had like a swear jar that, you know, if you swore, you'd have to put money in. Um, and we didn't quite fit the mold of uh, this college. And so we got this house um, directly opposite of the campus. And we were going to do a mission trip to this Indian reservation, okay? And our brilliant idea for how to raise funds, like Shirley's idea of how to raise funds, like great idea, Shirley, I'd applaud you for that, so good. Our idea was, hey, we're gonna sell dates of ourselves with uh, some girls, and that's how we're gonna raise money to go to this mission trip, like makes complete sense. Uh, so <laughs> we had an auction, and we auctioned each other off, right, for dates. Sounds horrible, <laughs> and I'm saying it out loud, and I'm even, it's just terrible. Um, and so I knew that Brie was showing up, and we weren't dating at that time. We were interested in each other, and I was like, I'm sure that Brie's gonna auction me, right? She was there with some of her friends. It was an awesome night. We're making loads of money because we're all good looking. Uh, <laughs> and I'm up next, right? And, you know, they introduce me. I do a dance. You know, I'm really selling myself because there's a lot to sell here. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the bidding starts, and it's kind of quiet. And I'm 
looking at Bree and waiting, and Bree doesn't bid on me. And I was like, I don't, I don't think we're understanding each other right now. And this other girl, uh, who I knew kind of had a crush on me, but I had no interest in, uh, she starts to bid on me, and I immediately go, oh, oh no. <laughs> and she won the bid. I didn't go on the date. I'm a horrible human being. <laughs> She ended up actually being a missionary um, in South America. I think she still is. Like, she, incredible woman. I feel horrible even. Like, I didn't even go on the date with her. It was terrible. <laughs> but, I, I mean, there was a total misunderstanding of where I was and where Bria was. There was a misunderstanding, uh, mostly on my part. Um, and I, the reason why I tell that story, one, to embarrass myself and because, well, you can't go lower than that. Um, <laughs> the miscommunication was on my part, and I didn't really understand what was happening between Bree and I. Like, I was really hoping she would bid on me. We'd have our, like, first date. It would be great. Um, ended up, you know, happening, just not under those circumstances. Um, but I love that Jesus is aware that they're totally confused. There's a misunderstanding happening. And the disciples are absolutely clueless to what's happening. So in verse 14, it says, they'd forgotten to bring bread. In verse 15, he warns them, be careful. And what is he warning them of? They're like, we don't, what, are you talking about bread right now? He says, be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. And they're like, I didn't know Pharisees and Herod had yeast. Like, that, that doesn't make any sense. Who let it slip to Jesus that we even don't have enough bread? Like, there's, there's all these questions the disciples are asking. And Jesus is speaking metaphorically, and they're thinking literally. And it's confusing altogether. But I love this. <clears throat> he lays on them these profound questions that they're not ready for, and I don't, I don't know if we are. Look at these questions. If you go to the, the next um, slide... He says this, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes to, that fail to see and ears that fail to hear? Don't you remember? Do you still not understand? It's been fun. In, in one of my seminary classes, I've been able to, to study some of the Old Testament literature. And Ironically enough, these are the exact questions that God asks Israel in the rebellion against him. These are some of the, the major questions in Isaiah and Jeremiah, two of the, the largest major prophets that speak to Israel's rebellion and lack of understanding about who God is and how he's drawing them to be a kingdom. And they ask him these questions. And it's funny, Jesus takes these questions and he asks it to his disciples, and I love that. <laughs> because it's the same heart issue. Don't you understand who I am and who your mission is? It's not about bread. None of this is about bread. I put up there, the story of Israel, is there hard hearts and lack of trust in God's faithfulness and covenant loyalty? And God ends up sending them into exile, Right? And it's all because they're unwilling to acknowledge God's complete faithfulness to them. And like God, being a faithful God, he brings them back out of exile. 
and we get the person of Jesus from the nation of Israel. So let me ask you this question. With that in mind, why doesn't Jesus leave the disciples like he does the Pharisees? Well, why doesn't he leave them? It's an interesting thought to think about. I mean, they seem just as clueless as the Pharisees, right? They don't understand anything Jesus is talking about. They're completely clueless to his mission often. There's this quote that I love. I'm going to throw that up. And it says this, the disciples mere humanity at large, which is so stuck in its world and cares that it's blind and deaf to God. The disciples are anxious about a lack of bread, but Jesus is anxious about their lack of faith. See, this has nothing to do about bread. This has nothing to do about understanding. This is a lack of faith issue that Jesus is calling the disciples to see. And I think it's what Mark is calling us to see. Do we have a lack of faith in God's provision for our lives, for our marriages, for when people die in our communities and our churches? Who do we turn to? Do we turn to each other to fight about not having bread? Or do we turn to the one who literally just created bread in the form of miracles? I love love that. I mean, Jesus literally just fed thousands and thousands and thousands of people by creating bread, and they're worried about not having it. (laughs) I mean, like, that's that's me. (laughs) That's me. I love the author of Hebrews. He says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith comes from community and looking at our past. And so when you look at your past, do you know that God is faithful? Do you look at your past in angst and anxiety about the things that you've done wrong? Or do you look at them the way that God looks at them? Pieces of bread he's willing to create miracles out of. Man, my past (laughs) is filled with bread crumbs that I look at that I, Jesus could do nothing with this. But all it takes is a little boy bringing a piece of bread to Jesus and watching him create a miracle. And I think all it takes for us often is to trust in the faithfulness of God and to bring him what we have, our past, our present, and in hope for the assurance of the future that what he has for us is good. And so I, I want to um, take a second to really hone in on a few things. We've been talking about discipleship a lot. Um, can you turn to the next slide? Let me see if I have this right. That's what I, I just talked about. And I love this um, Jesus reveals himself to those that seek him, and seeking requires honesty. Uh, Psalm 89 has been a psalm I've been going to a lot uh, recently. It's this beautiful psalm. If you've never read it, go go read it. The beginning of Psalm 89, um, the author praises God for his faithfulness. You know what the second part is? All right, I'm done with that. Hey, God, why do I not see your faithfulness? The author literally just goes hard after, I don't see anything that you're doing in my life or in the nation of Israel that I can call faithful. Where the heck are you? Why aren't you saving us? Why aren't you doing what you promised you would do? And I love that that's a part of scripture. 
I love that, that we're allowed to be honest with God. We're allowed to cry out and scream at him and do whatever we need to do because he can take it. He could take the, the, fair, or the um, disciples' lack of understanding and yet still go with them in the boat to where he needed to go because he knew that his faithfulness would produce faithfulness in the disciples, not the other way around. Jesus wasn't looking to the faithfulness of the disciples to use them. He said, I'm calling you because I'm faithful, and one day you're going to learn that. And I love that. (laughs) I love that because it's not dependent on me and what I have to do. It's dependent on Jesus and what he's done for me. And I think if we look about this um, in the form of discipleship, if you want to go to the next slide, I love that discipleship doesn't start at conversion. It starts when faith begins to form. If you think about it, none of the disciples knew who Jesus was until after Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Yet they were his disciples. Think about that. None of Jesus' disciples actually knew who he was or what he was doing. I think most of the time when we look at discipleship, we think about, ah, who's you know, a Christian and how can I begin to pursue them by maybe reading the Bible or doing these things? If we look at Jesus' form of discipleship, it's who is far away and how can I begin a relationship with them? How can I love them and begin to install them faithfulness? I love that. It's beautiful. And I think we can learn that from Jesus. I think that's the point of the cross as we look at this and we think about this. The cross is all about God's faithfulness to us, right? It's the first step. It's the initiation of I'm going to die for you while you're still in your sins. I'm going to raise from the dead without your help and without your power. And I'm going to offer you a gift that you don't deserve, but you need because I am faithful, And if we root our discipleship in the cross and in the resurrection, we should do the same for other people. Chasing after them before they even know they need chased after. Loving them before they even know they need loved. Showing them faithfulness while they don't even know what faithfulness is and can't respond to us in faithfulness. That is the meaning of discipleship. Showing somebody the characteristics of God when they have no characteristics of God to show us. If you want to go to the next slide. Allegiance to Jesus results in his kingdom first, not ours. The problem with the Pharisees was not their head knowledge. It was their heart's allegiance to Jesus. And the faith of the disciples was their problem. I love this. When, when Jesus bids a person to die and to come after Jesus, it isn't for Jesus' sake It's for our eternal purpose. Jesus calls us into discipleship. He calls us into his kingdom, not because we really have anything to offer him. It's because what he has to offer us is incredible and beautiful. He invites us into his kingdom, not because we have anything to offer that kingdom, but because in that kingdom, we get to rule and reign with him. That's the purpose of why we're created, to rule and reign with Christ. I mean, think about it. When was the last time any millionaire just said, hey, I'm going to include you into my will so that when I die, you can just get everything I have? Anyone have one of those experiences? Anyone like, you know, 
a king or queen uh, say, hey, you just want to come rule and reign with me in this country? Like, I, it's never happened to me. <clears throat> yeah, that's the exact thing God does for us. He invites us into an inheritance we don't deserve. And he invites us into a kingdom in which we get to rule and reign with him both now and forevermore because of his faithfulness to us. It's the beauty of the gospel. I love it. You're called a daughter and a son of God because of what he has done for you, not because of what we have done for him. That's what it means to be kingdom people. A simple acknowledgement that I don't deserve it, but I trust in his faithfulness to me. I think this is a hard concept to really believe and live into. And so I want to um, you know, end by asking a few questions. Bryce has been asking uh, by ending sermons with a few questions. And I want us to really process through some of these things. And so I forgot to write the questions on the slide, so you'll just have to listen. Um, what is hard to believe about when you think about God's faithfulness to us in the midst of our struggles and fears? Like, what, what are the things that are really hard to wrap your brain around when it comes to God's faithfulness to us? When we hold in the tension of like, man, I have a lot of fears and failures. Is there anything that's hard to understand about that or to wrap your brains around? Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to, it's easy to believe. It's hard to live out. And that's what I love about the disciples. They didn't know who Jesus was fully, but they had seen what he did. And so they got back in the boat with him. I mean, they had the option to leave with the Pharisees, right? They could have been like, well, those are the religious leaders of the day. They're questioning the guy I'm following, and none of this really makes sense. But they chose to get back in the boat with Jesus because they had seen what he's done the claims that he was making and the things that he was doing, they wanted that type of life. I do too. <laughs> Anyone else? What's hard to believe about the faithfulness of God? It's hard to believe that he's not angry with me because I'm angry with me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just I can't imagine him not on the verge of giving up. Hmm. That's a good quote. I can't imagine him not on the verge of giving up. <laughs> yeah, me neither. Like, man, if I was Jesus and I was trying to talk to my disciples who I'd spent you know, years with at this point, and they have no idea what I'm talking about, like, get out of the boat and go find some new people. <laughs> right? Jesus doesn't do that. He further invests in them because that's the character of God, the faithfulness. It just shows up time and time again. Yeah. Anyone else? What's what, good? It's related to, to anger, but it is different. Hmm. And, and everything God does for us is based in love. And I think 
challenge for us is a lot of times we're just not able to understand how anybody could love us hmm. or, you know, much less, you know, I'm angry with myself. It's like I'm not lovable, so therefore how can God truly love me and how is all this available by his love when I don't feel lovable and I know I'm not lovable. Hmm. Yeah. But it's his faithfulness. Definitely. Yeah. That's good. Anyone else? Yeah, and I, I think that's the beauty like, of Psalm 89, and, and there are so many other psalms of just the psalmist screaming at God, where are you? I don't see you. And I, that, that, we've got to offer that to people. I mean, that, that has to be a part of our message. There has to be authenticity. Like Jesus literally screamed on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yeah, he was quoting a psalm about a, trying to grapple with the faithfulness of God. Like if Jesus can scream on the cross, his last words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can we not also? Yeah. Mm. It is. Yeah. I, it, it's just the ironic thing, of, of I think, about us as human beings is that um, we, even when we see God move, we, we quickly forget it. I mean, literally, you, you look at the picture of, of God rescuing the Israelites from slavery. He walks them through the, the waters. Uh, he provides for them bread. And after a few days, they're already complaining. And, and you know, you make shake that off. I was, yeah, but that wouldn't be, I mean, the disciples literally had one piece of bread and they're in the boat complaining about not having bread, but the person who literally just fed thousands of people out of almost nothing. It, it just, it reflects, the scriptures show us and should reflect our unwillingness to remember God's faithfulness. It's like, it's like just rooted in sin and in our brokenness. We're so easily and so quickly to forget his faithfulness to us. It's hard. So let me, let me ask this question then. Um, how does Jesus' faithfulness to his disciples reveal his discipleship? What should we learn about discipleship 
from the way Jesus treats his disciples? This is a, a tough question, but take some shots, yeah. Jesus never gave up on his disciples, he never gives up on us. Never gave up on his disciples, never gives up on us. That's right. Yeah. Not always easy. Yeah, I can tell you that that's true. Uh, it's discipleship is hard. It's so hard. Yeah. Like you already said, where it's not about head knowledge piece and mm. the approach to discipleship is come to church, listen to somebody talk, mm. and discipleship will happen. Um, but Jesus was always trying to build this faith, always mm. trying to he would he didn't just give him the answer. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah, it, it's, it's funny. I, I said it earlier. Um, I, when I was a kid, I was like given a Bible and told to read it, um, which didn't work out. For some people, it does. Steve Tony, it did. <laughs> but I, I don't think, we don't give people Bibles so that they would just read the Bible. We, we give people Bibles and disciple them because in God's word, it points them to Jesus. And by being pointed to Jesus, they find the actual person of Jesus. Right? Discipleship, this isn't the end of discipleship. This is the beginning because in this, we find the person of Jesus. And I love that that's what Jesus does. He points people back to him. He goes back to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. He's always coming back because his faithfulness. Yeah. Absolutely. It's funny, as you were saying that, so going through Lent, I'm reading uh, the Sermon on the Mount every day through this, this season of Lent just to, to understand Jesus' kingdom perspective because um, it's in his Sermon on the Mount that we see his vision for what the kingdom of God is. Uh, and <clears throat> the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Like that was the prayer he told the disciples to pray. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> they, they missed it. <laughs> but like, it's funny to laugh at, but like, man, I miss it all the time. You could ask my wife. <laughs> I miss it all the time. So let me, let me close with this. Um, just, just a thought. And this isn't a thought of condemnation. You're not doing enough. Because once again, um, our faithfulness in the kingdom of God is based off of God's faithfulness. 
Um, if we're leaving, living into the kingdom of God, are you seeking after those that don't even need, they need, don't even need, I'm sorry, don't even know they need sought after? Are you seeking after those who don't even need, know they need sought after? <clears throat> if that's what it means to be invited into the kingdom of God, are you doing that for others? I think that this is part of the gospel and a challenge that I want to invite to not only myself, but to all. Let me pray. <clears throat> Father God, I thank you um, for this, this message. Lord, I pray that, um, man, this, our, I pray that we get something out of it. Not, not just that we took down some notes and some head knowledge that you know, we can quote later on, but Lord, I pray that it drives us and, and installs in us um, a desire to learn about your faithfulness more. It's, it always brings us back to your faithfulness, your covenant commitment to us, your cross, which you died for us when we didn't even know we needed death. But you chose that death to offer us life, to offer us into an inheritance that never rusts, spoils, or fades, into a kingdom in which we become your sons and daughters, in which we get to rule and reign both now and forevermore with you. God, I pray that we would see that vision for our communities, our families, our neighbors. Um, God, and I pray that you would allow your kingdom to spread in Elkins um, and in Randolph County um, in a beautiful way because of this and other churches that are faithfully following you. Lord God, give us our daily bread, we pray. Amen.